What is up, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Blake Benz Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about a very exciting topic, and that is the topic of leadership. And I think what is so exciting about this topic is that typically when you ask people, do you want to be a leader, or rather, maybe maybe that's too, too vague a question. When you ask people questions like, do you want to be the boss, or do you want to be the CEO, or would you want to be the head of this division of a company one day, a lot of times people will respond pretty positively, and they'll say, ooh, that would be really cool, right? And people naturally think about uh, all of the success that typically comes with those types of positions, right? Well, today's a little bit of a different take on this topic, and it's, I think, the best way to describe it, and I don't know I don't know quite what I'll, I'll title this episode yet, but, but essentially, what it is at the end of the day, it's the fact that leadership is something that is so unsexy, so unromantic, so much of a burnout, selfless drag on who you are as a person. And I don't, I don't say that in terms of like, don't be a leader. I'm saying it because I, on one hand, you know what leadership really is in terms of you see the weight it, it, it bears on someone. And on the other hand, you have you see people who have never really been in a real leadership position, and yet they look at it very admirably as this sort of, that's when I'll have made it type of mentality. So we're, we're going to unpack this a little bit today and try to understand a little bit about really the cost of leadership and the weight of leadership and what it means to sacrifice as a leader. And and I, I've, I've mentioned this in my, my newsletters before, but ultimately, Jim Collins articulates it really well when he, he's talking about the epitome of a great leader. And he says, he, he describes it through this analogy of the window and the mirror. And he says that essentially, when you look at leadership, the right kind of leader, the epitome of great leadership, this is someone who will look out the window and see all of their employees and when things go really well, they congratulate those employees. They they reward those employees. They they incentivize those employees. They they give uh, commission or rewards to those employees based on the productivity that they uh, develop for the business. And then when things go wrong, that same owner, boss, leader, whoever, then looks in the mirror and looks at themselves and they think about all the things that uh, not necessarily they need to change, but what is holding me back and holding my team back? What is it that's in me that's keeping my team from actually being successful? And all through my life, anytime I've met what I would consider a great leader, I would consider that analogy to be true. It's people who deeply operate through a mentality of the window in the mirror where rather than putting the accountability on other people in terms of why the business is failing or or, or and it doesn't really have to be business. I mean, you've probably met people in your own life. You could probably think of someone right now who is consistently unsuccessful. Maybe someone who has an anger problem or is incredibly lazy or, or what have you. 
and they never seem able to kind of get over that hump and actually be successful. And when they talk about it, it's always everyone else's fault, right? It's always, it's always, you know, bad luck. It's always, oh, well, if, you know, if this had gone right, then I would be successful. And you as the observer, you're sitting there thinking, well, no, it's because you're incredibly lazy or it's because you are late to everything or it's because, you know, you have no drive or ambition or, or what have you. And so it's not even just for work, but people in general, you there, there is a stark difference between the person who looks in the mirror and says, how can I be better? And then the type of leader who gets that analogy backwards. And so when things go really wrong, they look at everyone else and they say, it's your fault. And yet when they look in the mirror, they only do that when things go really well and it's like, thanks to me. This is all thanks to me. I, I did this. I accomplished this. I made this happen. And right now, you're, you can probably think of, of two different bosses, one who got that analogy right and the one I feel like everyone's had that one boss, that boss who gets that analogy wrong. And what's got me thinking about this topic of conversation is, is it's, it's Monday where I am today. And I'm coming off of two really valuable conversations I had last week, or really actually three valuable conversations I had last week. And the first one I'll tell you about, it's a guy who he is a basketball coach for a high school basketball team. And they won their either state championship or the national championship for their division. I'm not fully sure on the on the details of it, but had incredible success last year. And so he obviously, you would assume he has some insights out as to how to coach basketball. Well, he gives me a phone call last week and he's having some issues because his seniors have moved on or, or some of them are in the process of moving on. And he has this new, these new people who are coming in on the team or maybe some old leadership is leaving. And the conversation that we're talking about is culture. And he's asking questions around how do I motivate my guys? How do I get them uh, performing in a way that is admirable? He's asking questions like, how can I be a great leader and boss for them? And as we're, we're talking all these things through, typically whenever I'm, ha- I'm having a conversation with someone, I'm trying to listen really well for like those red flags in terms of, oh, this is your hang up. This is the thing that you're doing that's actually keeping your team from being productive. And I really wasn't hearing that. And so as the conversation moved on, I finally said, you know, I, I think the symptoms you're seeing is that you're, you're coaching a group of high school teenagers you know, teenage guys, and frankly, you're just at the immaturity of, of excuse me, you're at the mercy of their immaturity. I mean, you, you know, it's, it's kind of like whenever I work with people sometimes, it's like, I can't care about this more than you do. And if you're a boss yourself and you're listening, you probably think of those employees that, you know, you've seen, it, it feels like you've done everything to try to get those people actually, you know, running at 110% and yet they just, they just, it just doesn't seem to click. Right. And so I was trying to give him an out by saying, you know what, I, I, I don't think the symptoms you're seeing are fully your fault. In fact, it sounds like you're doing everything right. It just sounds like you have some, some guys in your team that just need to grow up. And he would not accept that answer. His response was, well, no, I, I, I need to know how I can get better. That's all I'm thinking of is how can I become a better coach? How can I be a better leader? How can I be a better man, a better mentor to these people? What can I do to be better? And I really, I felt really inspired by that conversation because I thought this is, this is a person who, despite every fair out he has to, you know, blame or, well, this is what's going on. 
Instead, he has such an intense diligence to his own personal accountability that the, the question isn't, you know, how do I overcome the immaturity of these people? The question instead is, despite whatever personal success I've had, how can I be better? And I've been thinking about that conversation because I mentioned I had some other conversations last week, and one of them I talked about in my newsletter was a a boss who was upset that his employees were not reading the books he was recommending. Now, their service has nothing to do with literature, books, anything like that. He runs a very small team, and his philosophy was, if people are going to be on my team, if we're going to all be on the same page, we all need to be reading the same leadership books. And so he had suggested these three books for his workers to read. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're probably thinking, yikes. <laughs> you're probably thinking this is a boss who I'm already doing everything I'm supposed to be doing for my job. And on top of that, I have a reading list that I have to do or else I'm going to get in trouble. And in fact, the employees had gotten in trouble. The, the boss is coming to me and he's asking questions like, how do I get them to read? I'm really concerned about their desire to grow. I'm really concerned that they, you know, are not actually taking a personal accountability or excuse me, a personal responsibility for their own development, yada, yada, yada. What do I do? Do I need to fire them? I mean, some really intense responses. And I'm just thinking, I can't believe this is a real person. I mean, I'm thinking of all the things you're choosing to be upset about. This is the thing that's that's bothering you. And so I'm asking kind of some, some pretty basic questions. You know, tell me about your employees. How are they doing? How's the revenue? How's productivity? And everything's great. Everything is great. Employees know their job. They're doing a great job. His big pain point, though, is that they are not reading the books that he's recommending. Now, clearly, the issue isn't the books. The clearly is his ego. The, the issue is that he is so possessive and such a control freak and he has so much pride and ego wrapped up in, you know, look what I'm doing. I mean, this is the kind of person who publishes their their reading list, I guess, and, you know, takes selfies of them in front of their book or um, I've done this before, by the way. So now I'm feeling now I'm feeling guilty as I say this. But somebody who is so wrapped up in their own ego, pride, what have you, that now they're personally offended that someone else isn't, isn't following suit out of admiration of them, right? And what struck me about this is that these are two very different leaders, the, the high school coach and the person who runs this business. These are two very different leaders. And the only, the only recipe that's different for the two of them is that one of them truly understands how to lead a team and the other one does not. And it's not even about, you know, forget the, the, the immediate outcomes. It's actually nothing to do with the short-term uh, immediate successes that both teams are seeing. Because both teams are seeing success. You have a, a championship-winning team and you have a team that is getting the revenue, hitting the, hitting the goals that they need to be hitting. The issue comes into long-term sustained success. And I was talking with a friend of mine probably about six or seven months ago, or maybe it was about a year ago, and there was something that we were talking about how companies in general, how they, they really fall into these traps when it comes to management and how they, they do not understand that none of this, when we talk about good leadership and management, we're not, we're not talking about your employees tomorrow. We're talking about protecting your revenue one year down the road. And it actually kind of gets on my nerves whenever I talk to business owners or former business owners or people who they started a business and failed 
and they say, you know, let's say for example, their business closed on December 1st and they say, yeah, you know, two weeks prior, this was kind of the, the nail in the coffin. And a lot of these people who I talk to, they don't understand that actually what, what got them off track were poor decisions months, sometimes years ahead of time. And something my friend was, that him and I were talking about months ago was that you have leaders who do not understand management and they are setting up the long term, the, the, the failure for their business. They're guaranteeing that long term. They're ensuring that it's not going to happen long term. And everyone who's had a great boss, you, you know what I'm talking about when we talk about the difference in type of people. A friend of mine, he runs the local uh, Vistage group, and he's the their Vistage chair. And we were talking about this topic of leadership and titles and positions. And the way he's described it is he said, everybody wants that CEO position title next to their name. Or everybody wants the pay bonus that comes with that position. But no one actually wants all of the responsibilities that come with that. See, very few people are actually willing to pay the price to be a good boss and be a good leader. And here's, here's what I mean by this. When I was younger, I was working at this summer camp. And this is always kind of a funny example to me because anytime I, and I got some really great business insights from working at this summer camp. But anytime I tell a story like this, I have people who they're, they're, you can already see it on their face of like, oh, summer camp, kids camp, really? Okay. You know, it's almost like, so not from a Fortune 500 you've worked with, but from summer camp, right? But really, I, I'm serious. I, I, I learned so much about business, about leadership, about managing a team from actually working at this summer camp that they had just, they had just nailed it in terms of how do you manage people well and how do you grow a high-performing team? And there was this guy, his name was Steven, and Steven was the the head of this summer camp. He was the camp director, and this was a person who people were kind of in awe of. I mean, he had so much, and it, 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 I say awe, I mean, some people probably felt it as, maybe not awe, but instead intimidation, because he was so assertive and so aggressive in terms of the quality he expected from people, and people were legitimately impacted by him. In fact, there was a staff of about 30 people. And at the end of every summer, when the summer camp was finishing up, we would have this banquet. And that would be a time that you could give uh, accolades. You could give honor to people. You could say, hey, you know, you were a great coworker, you know, things like that. Well, people would stand up uh, one by one at the banquet and they would turn to Stephen and they would say, man, Stephen, you've changed my life. You've given me a whole new perspective on leadership. You've done all of these things. And, and so I worked at the summer camp for about 10 years. I mean, it was a long time. And year after year after year after year, people would thank Stephen and they would admonish Stephen and they would talk about all the phenomenal things that he had done for them and frankly just spoken into them. You know, and it wasn't just about being a, a high-performing boss. He held a people to a standard, but he also pulled people up to that standard. He he didn't, you know, hold this, this level that he wanted people to achieve and then criticize people when they didn't get there. He deeply was he, he was so committed to how do I get people performing on this level? And there were a lot of times that he had one-on-one conversations, I mean, hard conversations to try to help people perform at that level. Sometime towards the, the end of uh, my time working there, 
the person who started the camp, she was the founder of the camp. And so she had founded it years prior before Stephen had uh, taken over the role as the camp director. And this woman, uh, her name was Hetty Lou Brooks, and she had this vision of a summer camp decades before and had uh, her and her husband had started it. And then as time went on, she couldn't, and as her she got older, she couldn't be the person who was running the camp. And so it actually had been this process set years before where there would be a camp director who would actually, as an extension of the family, would really run and manage the camp. And so Stephen had been the camp director for a camp that had been around for decades. He had been the camp director for, I think, like 15 years or something. Well, so she came to one of our staff meetings one time, and this was, again, towards the end of my time working there. And she was just telling stories about camp and just telling all these awesome things about camp. Well, then she turns to Stephen and starts bragging on Stephen. And it was a sweet moment. It was really cool. But the one thing that I, and I can remember this from the day that I was standing in the staff room meeting, listening to her talk. She looked at Stephen and she got really serious and really stern almost. And she looked at all the rest of us and she said, none of you, or actually, let me, let me clarify because <laughs> I want to quote it right. She said, you know, everyone admires Stephen and what he's done for this camp, but none of you fully understand the price he has paid to make that happen. And that really resonated with me because I heard that and my, my immediate reaction was, okay, uh, <laughs> I mean, did he have to put up like some equity or some cash? I mean, what, what, what did he have to pay? I mean, what did he have to, I, what does that mean? Right? I mean, did you force him to wash dishes or I mean like what, what is that? Right? And she starts talking about this weight of sacrifice and, and you have no idea all the things Stephen has done and what he has sacrificed for his family to make this camp what it is. And as I've gotten older, I've, I feel like I've gotten these glimpses of what that really looks like, especially when we talk about the weight of leadership. A friend of mine, he, was, he runs a, uh, a, a company that uh, deals with elderly patients, and he had to make the challenging decision to let some of those employees go. And as he was breaking the news to me and sharing the news of having to make that decision, you could just see the agony on his face of knowing that I'm going to be telling people that they no longer have a job here. And you could see the pain and the heartache and just the turmoil that he was navigating in his own mind as he was thinking through, how do I, how do I go through this? You know, I, I, I mentioned how I had three conversations last week. You know, one was the high school coach. The other one was the, the crazy business owner that you can think of. The third conversation I had was I was talking with these two women who they run a local nonprofit and it's a really well-known nonprofit. It's a phenomenal nonprofit. They do some really phenomenal work and I, I really just admire them as people. Well, we were talking about their teams and they have this senior team, this core leadership team of about 10 people or close to that. And then they have beyond that team, they, that team of people then uh, operates and runs and manages their own teams. And you have hourly employees, you have volunteers, you have a, a pretty wide spanning network of people who work for this nonprofit. Well, so we were talking about this core leadership team. And they're, they're just saying everything right. I mean, they're talking about the level of ownership that, that the employees have. 
there was one great story of uh, their, they had set some, they had developed their strategic plan and they had developed some specific goals and actionables that needed to happen by a certain time frame. And I'm talking to these two ladies who are running this company and one of them mentions that she forgot about this goal. She forgot that, oh yeah, I forgot about this metric that we had decided to do. Well, one of the employees who's part of this core team basically one day said, hey guys, if we're going to be accountable to this, we got to make this happen. And basically this employee demonstrated this, this total, really exemplified this level of ownership and said, whoa, you know, th- I care about this company. We said we're going to do this. We, let's make this happen, right? And, and the, the owner that I'm speaking to or one of, the, one of the, um, the heads of this company that I'm speaking to, she just is talking out of just admiration for this employee of like, man, I'm so, I feel so proud that this person took this ownership and is just trying to make this company continue to drive it into something great. Now, just as a random aside, you can always tell the ego of a leader based on how they respond to something like that. A leader who's ego-driven, who is in it for themselves, who's constantly threatened in terms of their position, title, power, whatever, that kind of leader would have responded with, uh, that's none of your business, that's that's totally above your pay grade, focus on what I tell you to focus on, or whatever other demeaning comments that person could have made. But instead, you have someone like this woman that I'm speaking to who is in total admiration of of that's exactly how we want our employees to be. We want them to have ownership. We want them to be bought in. We want them to see it as you know, something that, that they have their hands in and that they have control over, right? And we're talking about the team. We're talking about candidness. They're talking about conflict resolution. They're talking about, you know, a year ago, there'd be an employee that people would have a tough time with and everyone would kind of dance around the subject of this one employee or, or a different employee or a certain conflict issue or, you know, people would kind of, you know, they'd have like their, their little, uh, I mean, we've all worked in that company, right? Where like you have like your, cro- your close friends and then you have other people here like, I don't really want to talk to that person because I don't like them, right? So you have a little bit of drama that's happening. Well, these, these women are telling me about how they're, they're seeing these instances of, of a coworker you know, being candid with another one and saying, hey, when you said this, it really hurt my feelings or this bothered me or this kept me from being productive. And I want to resolve that with you because I know that you actually care about me and you're part of this team or you're seeing you're seeing coworkers where one's struggling and the other one comes alongside and says, hey, let me help you. I'm going to take time out of my day to see you flourish and be successful. And basically, if we were to talk about the epitome of strong culture, this company would be checking all of the boxes. And it's really exciting to talk about because again, a year ago, that would not be the case. You wouldn't, you wouldn't necessarily say that about it. Well, as I'm talking with these two women and we're talking about uh, just really, uh, if anything, I'm trying to encourage them and say, man, you guys have done so much good for your company. The thing that struck me was they seemed... Uh, Fatigued is too strong of a word. Exhausted is too strong of a word because they weren't burnt out. They did not lack motivation. But it was almost like when you struggle for something for so long and it finally works and it finally happens and you have this peace and you have this sort of quiet, oh, yeah, we did it. We made it happen, right? And, and, and they weren't even like celebrating. They were thinking, okay, what needs to happen next? And I could see it on their face, this this weight of leadership, this thought of, this stuff's hard. Man, this takes a lot of work to make happen. And we got on the subject of other companies and other teams, and 
why it's so hard for other companies to develop that culture that is high performing and that is active and that people are bought into. And one of them just just instantly remarked back to me, you know, they don't they these bosses, they just don't want to do the work. They don't want to put in the work to make it happen, right? And I always admired, I had a boss who I had, uh, I guess about a year or so ago, who he talked about the boss who, he he was talking about bosses he sees who they only do half their job, meaning they do the half that is like managing like the strategic direction of the company, but then the other half of like diving through people's mess and people's drama and developing a culture that people want to be part of that is actually sustainable long-term, a lot of owners aren't willing to do that. And that's, in fact, it's, it's actually why I have to be so selective with who I work with. And I don't mean that like in a fancy, like ego way. It's just that I, I'm very aware that I do not want to work with everyone. When I think about the epitome of the right kind of person for me to work with, it is someone who is willing to put in the work themselves and accept that this whole thing starts with me. You know, in the in the direction that I take my company, the direction that I I want to see it grow and develop is largely based on my willingness to bear the the cost of leadership, the weight of leadership. You know, it's like when people talk about the cost of success. Or you see somebody who is like incredibly, you know, just a very simple example, someone who's incredibly fit and you admire that person and wow, that's so great, but you don't see all the work they put into getting up early to go to the gym or, or the, the diet, the strict dieting that they put themselves on. You know, we don't always see the cost that people go through and we as a culture, you know, we, we, we like it BK style. We like it the whole have it your way, you know, where we want the outcomes, but we don't want to put in the work to actually make that happen. And I think about my own leadership and my own journey as a boss and as a leader. And, you know, there's really has never been a time in my life where I can say, man, I was such a good boss, man. I was such a good leader. In fact, every time I think of times I've been a boss, I think of the people I've hurt the people that I frankly screwed over, that I misled, you know, because I'm just I'm just freaking trying to figure this stuff out myself, right? I mean, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to navigate this the right way and not ruin anyone, right? And 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 I don't know if that's if that sounds pessimistic, but what I do know is that when I think about the epitome of great leaders and the people that have come before me who I have worked for, who I've admired, and people even now, people I work either work with or just am friends with, every great leader I know has paid a cost and has paid a price to be that great leader. One person, and I, I'm just thinking of like even, there's stories that I want to tell, but that I can't tell because of the companies they work for. So instead, I have to talk about them really ambiguously. But I think about a CEO of a Fortune 500 company, one of the most phenomenal, transformative leaders I've ever known, and he was forced out of his company, essentially asked to retire from his company because he, he was caring too much about his people. I know another person who was running a company who, again, I would think of like the epitome of a great leader who, same thing, <laughs> asked to leave his company. 
And these are people who have paid a price because what they've determined is that they are less valuable than the people who work for them. You know, it's like the, it's, it's, you take the concept of the window in the mirror and another analogy you can think of that I've, I heard a long time ago that I've always liked is, you know, instead of having people hold the ladder for you so you can climb up, a better philosophy is how can I hold the ladder for someone else? And this isn't even just, it doesn't even matter if you're a business owner. This is a way you can transform the relationships that, that you have. You know, how can I invest in someone else more than they invest in me? It's the whole ideology of when I get coffee with someone, how do I make it so that I'm asking more questions about them than, hey, let me, yeah, 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 let me tell you about my life or let me tell you about my job or let me tell you about, because that's what we, that's what we do a lot of times, right? I mean, we're so desperate sometimes for affirmation or attention that the moment we get around someone or we get in front of someone, it's, it's, it's how do I have this as my time to shine? And when I think about my own life, the times that have been most meaningful have been the times where I have suppressed that and I've made someone else the focus. I think that is the epitome of what we mean when we say servant leadership. I think it's disappointing that servant leadership has become totally a cliche in that it's it's no one really knows what it means anymore. It's like, just be a leader. I mean, just be a servant, right? Just be a servant leader. We don't really know what that means, right? I, I think I think when we realistically, we think about the great leaders in our own lives, and again, it's not just bosses, but like mentors, teachers, coaches, whoever, the people who've made the biggest impact on our lives are the ones who said yes to you and no to themselves. They are people who have died daily to their own desires once yeah, yeah, but what about me? I mean, I'm even thinking about my own relationship with my wife. The times that her and I have been in in uh, most in love, and I'm not talking about like, you know, you have to sacrifice to the point where you're like manipulated or you're just like bitter and angry. But the times that I have felt like we've been most in love or our relationship has been most full have been the times that I have been willing to die to my own desires, needs, wants, whatever, in order to see her uh, as someone who who I want to make it successful for her. I want to make her dream come to reality. And I think the same thing is true for people who work for us, the relationships around us. You know, and I I don't want this to get to be something really fluffy, you know, or like, uh, or it's very like feel good, emotional, whatever. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's just if you want to be a person who makes a real impact on people, that is going to mean making yourself less than them. You know, it's it's about making yourself less compared to the people who uh, you're interacting with. And especially as a boss, it's, you know what, I'm going to consider these people worthy of my attention, worthy of my profits, right? I mean, I was talking to a guy who was clearing like 350 grand and he was like, man, I would, I could give them 50 grand, but I just don't want to. And I just thought, why wouldn't you? That's such a great opportunity, right? I mean, my brother-in-law, and I'll talk about this maybe down the road. My brother-in-law though was, he's in Cabo right now because him and his company of 300 employees, their boss hit a certain revenue mark and the boss took everyone, literally everyone and their spouses to Cabo. Like, Yeah, like they all went to Cabo and he paid for all of it. He covered it all. 
and he's paying for all of it because my employees are worth it. They made it happen. Uh, and, and I want to be a boss that rewards my people. It takes a person who's willing to see other people as meaningful employees. And if we could swing this gate all the way to the other side of cynicism, I was seeing a quote today, and I don't remember what company it was, but it was uh, in the Wall Street Journal. And there was this company that essentially the uh, boss had given raises to the employees, bringing them all up to $15 an hour. And the quote was from an analyst who also has shares in this company. And the analyst said, once again, the workers get like first first take or first dibs and the shareholders get what's left over. And it was a very ironic statement because the workers are the ones who are actually, you know, they're the actual blood of this company. They're the ones who are actually driving and creating something of value for this company. And it's the shareholders who are really upset that they're not getting their return on their investment when they're doing nothing for the company, right? And it actually, when I was reading the story, there was a comment on this post and the comment was a quote from another leader from years ago that was talking about the success of their own company. And they said, it's unfortunate that that we have to uh, pay workers to make it happen. <laughs> Something just so, you know, totally asinine, ridiculous, insane. But I think it gives a really great uh, illustration of the two spectrums we see in leadership. And so if you are someone, you want to be impactful, you want to make a difference, and most of all, you want to be a boss who's worth remembering. It's going to take paying a price. And frankly, not every leader is willing to pay that price. They just aren't. They just are not all willing to pay that price. And that's not a question for me to answer, for people that I work with, but it is a question for for you to answer as you think about your future and what you want to be said about you 10, 20, 30 years down the road. Little food for thought today. As always, thanks so much for listening. Man, I love my supporters. I love the people who are willing to support me and listen and engage with me. Uh, Absolutely feel free to reach out to me, Blake at goodadvicecoaching.com. I also have a weekly newsletter that goes out on Fridays to people who I work with as well as friends and family. Uh, Would love to get you on that if you are looking for some additional tidbits uh, on leadership, life, business, what have you. That's all I got today. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll catch you later.